And the Lord said unto me, A conspiracy is found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This is a verse that was uh, sent to me by someone uh, rejecting my presentation on anti-Semitism, saying that, in a sense, the Jews are culpable for all kinds of evil that is uh, taking place in this world. And the passage is from Jeremiah 11.9. Welcome to another edition of Mystic and Skeptic. My name is David Daniel. We're here to discuss uh, a recent uh, situation that I encountered uh, on my YouTube channel. Uh, a gentleman responded to one of my latest uh, editions uh, in relation to a rising in anti-Semitism in our culture. And he quoted the following passage from the Bible. And the Lord said unto me, A conspiracy is found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This is from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 11, verse 9. Just a quick Google search on the meaning of this verse says, And they went after, rather, yea, they have walked after other gods to serve them. Referring to the men of Jeremiah's day. The Jameson Fawcett Brown Bible Commentary says the following, A conspiracy, a deliberate combination against God and against Josiah's reformation. Their idolatry is not the result of a hasty impulse. You can see Psalm 83 verse 5, Ezekiel chapter 22 verse 25, and Jeremiah 11 9 to 10, Daniel 9 11. So just a quick search on a Google or a comment on the new Oxford Bible, annotated Bible, the passage in Jeremiah would say the following. Conspiracy, used specifically of plots of rebellion against the king. See 2 Samuel chapter 15 verse 12, 2 Kings chapter 11 verse 14. So this gentleman sends this verse to say that the Jews are culpable for all kinds of inequity all kinds of conspiracies, conflict, uh, destruction of the world, and that this is his Bible passage, that, which is proof of that. And in all the commentaries, it says that this has to do with 2,500 years ago. Okay? The next passage that he quotes, supporting his hatred for the Jews, is the following. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law even by departing, that they may not obey thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him, and he hath confirmed his words, which he spake against us, and against our judges that judged us, by bringing upon us a great evil, for under the whole heaven had not been done as had been done upon Jerusalem. This is Daniel chapter 9, verse 11 through 12. Again, if we go to the New Oxford Annotated Bible, passage in Daniel's will say the following. The prayer is similar to other post-exilic penitential prayers, the ones of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Baruch. It's a communal confession which is typical of Jewish piety, even in cases where no sin is indicated, 
Prayers begin with confession and repentance. By saying that the law and the curse and the oath as mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 15 to 45 and Nehemiah chapter 10 and 30 this indicates that they're being held to a divine standard which was discussed in the Torah. So it's just a random prayer again 2300 years ago in this case this is how they would address it in the Elliot Coates commentary the curse the passages in the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy to which Daniel refers had already been noticed by Isaiah in chapter 1 as having received a partial fulfillment in these times it remains for Daniel to realize the complete pouring out of the curse. It is poured out like a torrent of rain, such as Exodus chapter 9, verse 33, as the fire melts the silver in Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 20 through 20, verses 20 through 22. So does the curse cause the nation to melt away. So again, he's applying a curse which would be the repercussions for poor behavior that to people that lived 2300 years ago and applying them to all Jews of all time in all circumstances tell me if this is fair or not as we can see anti-semites go through great lengths to misinterpret misapply and to condemn all Jews of all history using their own scriptures to make a case against them. If any other culture was held to these standards, if any other culture was mistreated and attacked in this way, there would be an outcry. But now it has been normalized to mistreat and demonize the Jewish people as a whole. Another verse quoted by this individual is the following hear this word which i take up against you a lamentation o house of israel this is amos chapter 5 verse 1 again from the annotated oxford bible with commentary amos 5 1 says the following lament for israel among the forms of prophetic speech was a lament. Hearing one's own funeral speech delivered by a prophet must have had a sobering effect. See Jeremiah chapter 9, 17-22. In Benson's commentary, a Christian commentary on the Bible, they interpreted this passage this way. Hear ye is justly observed by Grotus. That this verse would be translated more according to the Hebrew, Hear ye this word, even a lamentation, which I take up over you. It alludes to lamentations made at funerals, so here the prophet bemoans the state of the kingdom of Israel as dead. The virgin of Israel, such as she was when first spoused to God, a chaste virgin to a husband, she was then peculiarly beloved and delighted in. It was under the peculiar protection and care of her heavenly Lord. 
but she's now fallen from the glory and felicity and for her idolatries and other sins delivered up to the will of her enemies. She shall no more rise, that is, says, according to Grotus, non interim surget, she shall not rise again, namely, if she so goes or in the wicked way in which she now walks. For it was always understood in God's threatenings against the Jewish people that they that if they turned to him in true repentance, they might, by that means, avert the judgments threatened. And there are repeated promises of the restoration of Israel as well as Judah. But these were all made on the condition of the repentance and reformation, which is they never perform in general, so they have not been restored in general, as the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin were. She is forsaken upon her land, she is abandoned of all, and there is none to assist her to rise up again, like an infant that has fallen upon the ground and had none to take it up, or broken to pieces upon her own land, so the left has a broken left vessel, the city that went out by a thousand, a city which was able to send out a thousand men fit for war, shall have but a hundred of them left, and so it shall be in proportion to any less number, only one in ten or them shall escape the sword and other chances of war. So here the commentator, who most likely is uh, a supersessionist Christian, is saying that the Jewish people have not repented in general, maybe individually. And this is the typical evangelical perspective where if a couple of Jews believe in Jesus, then they're cool, but the rest of the jewelry will be uh, condemned to hell or perish. What he doesn't understand is that he has no right to decide what is sufficient repentance as compared to the biblical mandate to repent. If you follow his own logic, repentance means turning from your sins and going back to your original state as is believed in Judaism. And who is he to judge which Jews have served God honorably and faithfully throughout history and which haven't? His only litmus test is to believe in Jesus, which is a very limited and uh, subjective way to judge people because faith in an individual or allegiance to this messianic figure was not the litmus test for repentance before the writing of the New Testament. It was uh, love for God and fulfillment of the commandments. So if we were to follow the biblical logic, Jews until the 18th century were following the commandments faithfully, maybe some more than others. So Jews have been living in repentance for the last uh, 1800 years. And then there's been uh, greater, less success in the last 200 years. So again, who is he to say that this is adequate for God to restore the Jewish people and give them their land and their uh, true uh, fulfillment of their purpose in the world. Uh, so there's a lot of assumptions that are being made by Christians, Muslims, and people who disregard uh, the Jewish people as the, the faithful members of God's covenant. So another verse that he is throwing in our face is... 
Zechariah chapter 1 verse 4. Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus said the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and your evil doings. But they did not hear nor hearken unto me, said the Lord. So again, someone who has no knowledge or understanding of Scripture is throwing a very difficult and old passage back to the Jewish people and claiming that he has the right interpretation and right understanding and that they don't and no wonder the Jews are who they are and they deserve all the punishments that they have from uh, the world the opinions of rappers and other um, non sophisticated people as well as the ability to speak on behalf of God and place them within the understanding of our creator to hold them accountable for something that he never requested of them if you were to follow the Jewish scriptures versus the Christian ones. Okay, so Zechariah 1.4 and this is there is a commentary from the Oxford Annotated Bible it says the following. So this verse was written in 520 before the Common Era. Um, Darius the first, the king of Persia, was uh, reigning over the Jewish people, and Zechariah, son of Ido, mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 12 verse 16, belongs to a priestly lineage. Zechariah means God remembered, which symbolizes God remembering of the people, an important theme of the book. And in verses 2 through 6, and it's an unusual oracle which reflects on past prophetic admonitions and the ancestors' responses. God requests for them to return or repent, can be translated either way, it, which is a key word appearing four times. For earlier prophetic calls to return, you can see Joel chapter 2 verse 12, Jeremiah chapter 18 verse 11, Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11, and there's a mutual return spoken in Joel chapter 2 verse 12 through 14, Malachi chapter 3 verse 7. This idea that though the ancestors did not initially return, they finally repented, which sets the stage for a glorious future. So he misses verse 6, which says, But my words and my statues, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did not overtake your ancestors. So they repented and said, The Lord of hosts has dealt with us according to to our ways and deeds, just as he planned to. So the verse itself says that they came around, and this guy is using it to admonish the Jewish people without understanding that the issue that God was raising through the prophet has already been dealt with. The other verse, which he unpolitely discusses, is the following. For the punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom that was overthrown as in a moment, and no hands stayed her.
This is Lamentations chapter 4, verse 6. Again, context, guys. Lamentations is a book about being sad after the destruction of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is destroyed by the Babylonians. And some people believe Zechariah, the prophet, I mean Jeremiah, the prophet, is writing of his sadness after losing the battle and being captured. So, according to the Oxford Commentary, whose pun the punishment of Sodom was legendary. They were overthrown in an instant, according to Genesis chapter 19, verses 24 through 25, whereas Jerusalem was made to suffer long agony. But you have to read the verses before where it says, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, how the gold has grown dim. How the pure gold is changed. The sacred stones lie scattered. And the head of every street. The precious children of Zion. Worth their weight in fine gold. How they are reckoned as earthen pots. The work of potter's hands. Even the jackals offer the breast. And nurse their young. But my people have become cruel. Like the ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the infant sticks to the roof of his mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives them anything. Those who feasted on the delicacies perish in the streets. For the chastisement of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which has overthrown in a moment, though no hand was laid on it. Her princesses were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were made ruddy, then coral, their hair like sapphire. Now their the siege is blacker than sooth, and they are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on their bones. It has become dry as wood. So the commentary for the whole chapter is the following. The community under siege in Jerusalem. The physical and social affects of starvation are graphically described. The progression is realistic, first the children and then the adults. Degradation and debasement in the main, is the main theme. Those once well-off are now destitute. Those once healthy are dying or dead. Much of the effect is achieved by the contrast in color, the before and the after, as the rich palette of colors of wealth and health, gold, scarlet, white, red, sapphire, is drained away to blackness. Heat is another dimension, the unrelenting heat of the summer siege, the dry and blackened skin, the parched mouths, God's burning anger, setting fire to Zion. There is no shade, no protection provided by God or the king. Like chapters 1 and 2, this chapter contains a simple alphabetic acrostic and opens with the words, How? The, the suffering of the siege. Sacred stones or gems and gold, though appearing to be meant literally, are metaphors for the children. Urn pots were cheap and easily broken and discarded while gold was an expensive and durable material. The children are likened to throw away objects because no one can care for them. Jackals considered despicable scavengers. Ostriches thought to be cruel and neglectful parents. My people have become cruel, not willingly, but from desperation. They are no longer able to care for their children. The tongue sticks to the roof of the mouth. 
an expression meaning that no sound is uttered. The children are too weak even to cry. So again, this is the Israelites between 500 and 300 years before Jesus discussing the pain of being captured and destroyed by another nation and being taken into captivity. What does this have to do with the modern Jewish people other than the modern Jewish people have suffered same kind of persecution and hatred throughout the centuries? The next one is a doozy. This is the verse that he implores. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Why should ye be stricken any more? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. This is the prophet Isaiah chapter 1 verse 4 through 5. So people know, instead of focusing on the people that, that God hates, to focus on the people that God loves. All the uh, quotes that he has are from prophets. What are prophets? But Jews from the ancient world, which God loved so much that he revealed himself to them and gave them the ability to speak on his behalf. So this guy is saying that Jews are condemned and they have all of God's curses on them while listening to Jewish leaders who are admonishing their own people. So it's like if I came from another country and I said, the problem with America has been discussed by Martin Luther King, who's an American. So the American, Martin Luther King, saying that America is corrupt. How great is Martin Luther King and how awful are his people? How can a great man come from that awful people? Doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know if it does to you guys. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 4 through 5 is interpreted the following way. The Lord planned to reveal worldwide sovereignty at Zion. The first half of the book focuses specifically on the punishment of Zion and its anticipation of future restoration in an effort to demonstrate the Lord's plans to reveal sovereignty over Israel, the nations, and creation at large. The second half of the book presupposes that the time of restoration and the Lord's revelation are at hand. The prologue in chapter 1 is an introduction both to the entire book of Isaiah and to the first portion of the book. Designated to convince its audience that Jerusalem's suffering during the late 8th century for the common era and beyond, and beyond was due to the Lord's plan to purge Jerusalem in preparation for his role as the seed of the Lord's rule over all creation, in keeping with the understanding of David slash Zion tradition. Isaiah presumes the Lord's sovereignty, righteousness, and power to defend the royal house of David and the city of Jerusalem. The prophet therefore contends that Jerusalem's suffering is due to human wrongdoing. The city must be purged to enable it to serve as the Lord's capital for all of creation. Such a position is theologically problematic 
presuming the guilt of those who suffer. What's more problematic is for people to say that Jerusalem has no place in God's plan and that Jerusalem has nothing to do with Zion or King David and his descendants. Chapter 1, verse 1, is a superscription. The prophetic book typically begins with a superscription that provides the reader with essential information concerning the prophet. The superscription introduces both the entire book, subsequent subscriptions, introduces smaller subunits, Isaiah's vision. So there's a concept called the speech of the accuser. The prophet employs the language of the courtroom beginning with the Lord's accusation speech that charges Israel with wrongdoing to explain Jerusalem's suffering. Appealing to all creation, namely heaven and earth, to witness the divine complaints against Israel. The passage metaphorically portrays Israel as the Lord's rebellious children who do not even have the understanding of animals. Rhetorical questions designated to motivate the listener to return to God are spoken in verses 4 through 9. The suffering of the people is presented as a result of their own wrongdoing rather than any lapse on the Lord's part. The imagery shifts from personal illness and injury to the suffering of the entire land during the Assyrian invasions. When Jerusalem was left standing alone, surrounded by the forces of the Assyrian king, Sennacherib, in 701 before the Common Era. In verse 4, the Holy One of Israel, a divine title that occurs throughout the book, is discussed. The next verse, from what was quoted by this gentleman, Why do you seek further beatings? Why do you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. So we're going to go back to the other commentaries and see what they have to say about this. Because of the multitude of the whoredoms of the well-favored harlot, the mistress of witchcrafts that sell it nations through her whoredoms and families through her witchcrafts, behold, I am against thee, said the Lord of hosts, and I will discover thy skirts upon thy face, I will show the nations thy nakedness, and the kingdoms thy shame, I will cast abominable filth upon thee, and will set thee as a gazing stock. This is the prophet Nahum, chapter 3, verse 4 and 6. What's interesting is that this guy didn't even do his proper research to realize that this is about Babylon, not Israel, or the Jewish people, or the ancient Israelites. According to Ellicott's commentary for English readers, because of the multitude in the idolatry and superstition of Nineveh, the prophet finds the case of her destruction. Perversion of religious instinct is frequently denounced under the same figure in scripture. Here, however, a more literal interpretation is possible since there is a reason to believe the religious rites of Assyria were characterized like those of Babylon by gross sensuality. According to Herod, in his um, book on page 199, the Babylonian worship of Beltis or Melithia was connected with a system of female prostitution, which was deemed most shameful even in the he by the heathen historian. Compare also the apocryphal book of Baruch, chapter 6, verse 43. The same deity was worshipped in Assyria. Professor Rawlingson writes, quote, It would seem to follow, almost as a matter of course, that the worship of the same identical goddess in the adjoining country included a similar usage. Maybe... 
For this practice that the prophet Nahum alludes when he denounces Nineveh is a well-favored harlot, the multitude of whose harlotries was notorious. In his book, Five Great Monarchies, chapter 2, verse 41. So again, if you don't even understand scripture and what they're talking about, how can you use it to attack a whole group of people? So Nahum chapter 3 verse 4 says the following, according to the commentary. While the Hebrew term for prostitute can refer to one who receives money for sex acts, it also is used in the Bible to refer to promiscuity and to unfaithfulness. In Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 21, 31 verse 16, Ezekiel 23 verse 3, and Hosea 4, 13 through 14. Here the term may function as a slur against the city rather than a prescription of its activities. Nineveh's control over and appeal to other nations attributed to sorcery and seduction. God will personally take action against Nineveh. The uncovering of nakedness is a matter of shame. Genesis 9 Verses 22 to 23, Leviticus 18 through 20th, Isaiah 47, verse 3, Lamentations 1, verse 8, and Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 15. And it's often a prelude to sexual violation, Jeremiah 13, verse 22. Nineveh's nakedness will be made into a spectacle and is the punished. Punish woman in Hosea chapter 2 verse 10. The absence of comforters for Nineveh is ironic given that Nahum describes from the word for comfort, derives from the word for comfort. The image of Nineveh as a devastated woman finds a parallel in the depiction of Jerusalem in the book of Lamentations. And where is Nineveh? In Babylon. So there's a, a couple more verses. The one that I find very disturbing is the following and Moses said to Aaron what did this people what did this people unto thee and thou hast brought so great a sin upon them so this is Exodus thirty two twenty one. you shall not wrong or oppress a resident alien for your aliens in the land of Egypt according to the New Oxford Annotated Bible it's commentary Burnt ground is idiomatic language for complete redemption. Second Kings chapter 23 verse 15 Moses subjects the people to a tr trial by ordeal. Numbers, Numbers chapter 5 verse 16 through 28 Those who suffer ill effects from drinking the water and pulverized metal are considered guilty and die in a plague. Aaron, however, remains unpunished. So this is talking about the golden calf and how, unlike what it shows on the Ten Commandments movie with Charlton Heston, Moses uh, smashes the Ten Commandments and the dust is made to be uh, drunk by the people who witnessed this. So again, uh, something that happened 3,000 years ago is being applied to all Jews and all history because of this guy's lack of understanding of what scripture is even discussing. But truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord, and of judgment and of might, to declare unto Jacob his transgression, 
and to Israel his sin. Hear this, I pray you, ye heads of the house of Jacob, and princesses of the house of Israel, that abhor judgment and pervert all equity, that build up Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. This is Micah chapter 3 verse 8. The Lord will punish the religious leaders. Micah's rival prophets are crowd pleasers, inspired on commission. By contrast, see Micah's source of inspiration, a time without vision. Cover their lips is a sign of mourning with the spirit. So Micah is saying that Jerusalem is doomed and that the temple shall be destroyed because of the corruption of its leaders. So now we see a difference between the leaders and the people. Something that you can claim took place during the crucifixion of Jesus, that even if um, it was the leadership that was involved in falsely accusing him and getting him railroaded uh, through the Roman uh, representative uh, of Pontius Pilate, the people have nothing to do with what the leaders uh, accomplish. There is a biblical principle of pain for the sins of your leader, such as what happened to the Egyptians when Pharaoh uh, refused to let the people go. But these are very complicated old passages being applied to a new group of people, the descendants of the original Israelites. Howbeit thou art just in all that is brought upon us. For thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. Nehemiah Chapter 9, verse 3. Celebration through confession and commitment. The lengthy prayer that follows restates Israelite history as a tale of divine faithfulness and Israelite faithfulness. To show their difference from their disloyal ancestors and in the hope of reversing the current plight, Bosselinic community binds itself to God's Torah in an oath and undertakes additional responsibilities to keep God's teachings. So as we can see, it's just a smorgasbord of verses that are being um, unfairly applied to the Jewish people of today. We will keep exploring the, the way that these conspiracies come about, but the Lack of biblical literacy has a lot to do with this.